Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today on this uh, snowy, wintry Friday here in Calgary. I'm Patrick DeMoffling, and for the one, the only, Logan Gordon uh, today. He is off. He'll be back on Monday. Uh, update here, uh, another trade trip, trade chip possibly at the trade deadline. Uh, out with some injury. You know, Shane Gossespierre was one name that was getting bantered around. Well, he's out probably till the trade deadline. Uh, now Columbus Blue Jacket for Gustav Nyquist. Uh, who's been uh, a fan of some teams out indefinitely with an upper body injury he suffered in Wednesday's game against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, it'll be something to watch. Uh, break Tough break for the Columbus Blue Jackets. The hits keep on coming for those guys. Flames game day. They welcome the Seattle Kraken. Or no, they don't welcome. They are in the Emerald City tonight taking on the Seattle Kraken. And it is a Flames game day brought to you by South Point Toyota. It's time to Toyota under the Toyota Tower pre-order over 400 incoming new Toyotas with $0 down and no payments until April 2023 OAC. Talked with Lou. Love talking with Lou about uh, what the junior players are just going through some of the names on the text line, 960-960s that players were, uh, that you were suggesting. Jock Callender is one that played with the Regina Pats the same time that Lou was talking with. He had like 190 points in his final year of junior. Like hockey was just a different breed back in the day. Uh, we're waiting to hook up with uh, Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times. Covers the Seattle Kraken. Uh, of course, these the Kraken. They are not going anywhere. They uh, they are uh, well uh, into the Pacific Division here as a playoff spot team, like in the playoff spot in the Pacific Division. Uh, coming into tonight's, tonight's action with uh, what are that sixty one points leading the Pacific Division. Calgary Flames dropped their decision to Seattle. Of course, uh, won their last game against Seattle. Uh, lost the first round. This is the final meeting with Seattle. Winner gets the uh, the season series and that tie break, which could be true, proved to be vital uh, as a stretch. Flames currently on the outside looking in. They're at 55 points with the Colorado Avalanche, but down on points percentage, and the Avs have two games in hand uh, in that wild card spot. And we are ready to talk with Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, Jeff, uh, how are you enjoying your Friday? I bet it's a lot nicer in Seattle than it is here. No, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. We've got some sunshine here, yes. uh, kind of popping through the clouds, which is very. Uh, it's been a very unusual sight uh, since the new year. So uh, I'll <laughs> take it where I can get it. Uh, yeah. Right yeah. now, just just taking a look over there. Yeah, La Nina is uh, transitioning out. It's an El Nino now, so we're going to get more moisture up in the north now. So who knows here? It's it's good for us. Come. Come springtime, maybe. I uh, wanted to get into this one. Flames the opponent tonight in Seattle. Man, talk about your Kraken. You know, I think we were all around the NHL waiting. You know, these guys, you know, they got Martin Jones. Can he hold up? You know, they're, they're, they're maybe playing maybe ahead of a year ahead of where they should be. But just talk about how good this team's been sitting first place in the Pacific Division entering tonight. Well, they've had three very, uh, they've had four actually very strong lines. And, and that you know they've gotten a lot of production out of their fourth line, especially Daniel Sprung has 15 goals for them. So I mean that that's obviously helped. And you know they, they've been able to contain other teams' top scoring lines. Uh, you know a lot of it with Alex Winberg as their centerman, and he's not necessarily their top line center, but they've been able to do that. Throw his line out there to contain other teams' top lines. 
And so there's been mismatches on those bottom three lines where the Kraken have gotten the edge on other teams uh, because their bottom three lines are so good. And so, uh, you know, that that's where it's happening. So then when they get somebody hurt or somebody uh, somebody out, you know, that's kind of where, uh, you know, that's kind of where they don't panic. They don't uh they don't take in, uh, you know, they, they don't start they don't start coming up with goal shortages because they've had other people that are able to step up. And, uh, Daniel Sprung's one of the ones I mentioned. Ryan Donato, he's got a three game mm-hmm. goal streak. You know, those are other guys. They're not necessarily stars, but they're picking up the pace. Uh, Matty Beneers, he left uh, Wednesday's game after taking a hit from uh, Tyler Myers. Uh, doesn't look like he's going to play tonight. He wasn't on the ice uh, uh, and morning practice or morning skates. Uh, any uh, status there? Is it just maybe a temporary thing? Yeah, it could be temporary. I mean, they, they, they're they kind of, uh, you know, weighing it day to day at this point. Uh, I don't think he's going to be in there tonight. He wasn't at the morning skate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of giving it right up until the last minute. So that doesn't lead me to believe it's anything serious at this point. But, I mean, it was kind of a cheap hit that, that Tyler yeah. Myers took on him. And, uh, you know, nobody's very uh, nobody's very happy about that. Yeah, I liked your your tweet here uh, from that I first went over the Canucks, and you're the tweet about having you know beat the other team for a rivalry to begin, and we know the, 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 what's going on in Vancouver with the soap opera. How is that that little connection with the Canucks going? Is it is it still like in the early infantile stages of a being a rivalry? Yeah, I mean they had some fights in uh, in preseason, you know, quite, quite a few. Then they had some fights the first game. When they were up here at uh, Climate Pledge, uh, the next game in Vancouver was was you know relatively calm and peaceful. This one was a little rougher, uh, yeah. and that Myers hit's not going to help anything <laughs> no. uh, as far as this goes. Yeah, so so I you could you could start to see there's going to be some bad blood. They got one more game up in Vancouver, um, and, and you know I'm sure there might be some retribution sought uh, in that game. Um, but as I mentioned, I mean it's hard to have a rivalry when one team's, uh, you know, just beating the other one like a drum. And so finally the Kraken uh, came out, and they finally, first time in seven lifetime matchups, they were able to beat the Canucks. And uh, they didn't just beat them, they beat them pretty soundly. And so, uh, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens the, the next time they meet up. Yeah, welcome back to coaching Rick Talkett. Uh, confidence, uh, how's the confidence locally and maybe just uh, your confidence in the in the combination of what is Martin Jones and Philip Grubauer? Grubauer's getting healthy here again. Martin Jones, we know what he's been at, but there's maybe in calls should Grubauer be the guy. Do you think Jones and Grubauer can be the a solid enough tandem to get the crack into where they want to be? I think they can help get them there, but I think at, at some point, you know, one of them is going to have to stand out and, yeah. and become the playoff goalie and ride that the rest of the way. I, I don't believe in goaltending tandems for the playoffs. I hear a lot of talk about them. You rarely Lately, ever yeah. see them go <laughs> one, two. Yeah. People talk about it a lot, but, you know, come playoff time, you usually ride one of them the, the most of the Of course, yeah. Yeah, and so I think they're going to have to decide at some point. I still think Grubauer's got the more recent track record of the two of performing at that level in the playoffs and, and you know, through the, through the crunch time of a, a stretch run. Uh, so far, Martin Jones, uh, for whatever reason, the team plays better in front of Martin Jones, and maybe they're just afraid to let too many quality shots get taken on him. But they do tend to play better defensively in front of Jones. Uh, Grubauer has been uh, pretty, pretty solid lately his last few outings. Uh, he's just not getting consecutive games to show it in. I mean, the team's been riding the hot hand with Martin Jones. Um, and, and I think they're, they're trying to make Grubauer work for it to take it away from him at this point. Uh, uh, I like what I've seen from Grubauer. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's their uh, number one goalie come playoff time. That sounds very similar to something we have here. that seeing the team plays better in front of Dan Vladar as opposed to Jacob Markstrom, as it looks like uh, the Kraken will be seeing Dan Vladar tonight. 
uh, as well. Uh, what's the checklist heading into this trade deadline for for a guy like Ron Francis? You know, we're on, we're just a little over a month away. Of course, he's got to still be preaching patience to the market. It's only their second year of existence. They've accumulated the picks and the ammo to get something done. Do you, what what is the main checklist you think that uh, that Ron Francis is looking at for uh, the March third deadline? Well, I, I would think he would like to stabilize the defense a little bit better. And I'm not saying they haven't been stable. They've been great. Uh, the, the starting uh, starting six, the top three pairings have been have been wonderful for the team. And they've barely missed any games. But that's the problem. They've been very lucky on the injury front. Mm-hmm. Lately, we've seen Justin Schultz uh, go down with a lower body injury, what appears to be a lower body injury. And, um, you know, so he's been out. And, and they're kind of a little thin at that point. They, then you go to Cale Fleury, who's barely played this season. Um, and, and, you know, they really don't have a standout, you know, second pairing defenseman yet in, in the minor. So I think they, they could go out and look for a, another uh, defender to bring in there just in case somebody from the top couple of pairings goes down. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked I talked about the, the balance that they've shown on their top four line probably wouldn't hurt them to try to get a more natural goal scorer in there if they can in the mix. I mean, I, you know, I know they keep getting brought up in Bo Horvath yeah. conversations and that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, because, you know, as you know, as you get down towards nitty gritty time, crunch time, uh, the goal totals in games tend to tend to get lower and you really do need, they, they might need somebody that can put the puck in the net a little more naturally than they do. They have Andre Burkowski, they have Matty Beneers, but you know, Beneers is only a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they probably need some more natural goal scorers in there. Yeah, like like with Bo Horvat, you know he's a, he's a twenty under twenty seven guy, but you know he's going to be wanting a big massive deal here. This is where this is his summer to cash in. You know, Seattle obviously can make that. Would a Horvat move make sense? Obviously, you wouldn't be bringing him him for just a rental. That would be a player you want to bring in, and he be your second line center for the next seven seasons, right? Right, exactly. That's that's they're they're not looking for a rental at this point. Yeah. I mean, look, at the center position, they got Beniers, they got Shane Wright. That's mm-hmm. your youth. That's your future. The thing is, you bring in a Horvat, as you mentioned, you might be looking at your number two guy for the next seven years, and then at that point, you know, do you look to trade Shane Wright? Possibly. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you look to trade? You know, Morgan Geek. He's another guy. They have a young centerman who's done well as a third line center for them, uh, fourth line center at times. And, you know, and he's, you know, he's starting to get a little more expensive and, uh, you know, there, there's a guy you in a trade, perhaps, I mean, with Horvat, you're not just bringing in, you know, a guy that can score this spring. I mean, if they're going to bring somebody like that in, it has to be somebody that fits into their plan going forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while nobody here has mentioned to me in the organization that they're looking to trade Shane Wright at this point, I mean, on paper, theoretically, yeah, it makes sense. You trade a guy who's you know, looks like he's going to have a good future for a guy who you think you can maybe accelerate the development plan by about four years. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily hurt you at that point either. What about a guy like uh, like Timo Meyer? You know, that's a guy that, that also requires a, a big, big uh, qualifying offer here this offseason, around $10 million or so. Uh, it is, is a Timo Meyer a, a type of guy, or is, like, the wings not really a problem here? I mean, they, they, they have they have quite a few centermen already. And, yeah. uh, you know, can you upgrade on the wings? Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, that that's a, that's a possibility as well. You, you could look at that. I mean, I don't think they're going to spend the kind of money that that necessarily that you would give to a Horvat mm-hmm. for that. I mean, they do have guys that can play wing, uh, starting Burakowski, starting yeah. Oliver Bjorkstrand. But, you know, they could, they could upgrade a little further down. I mean, they could upgrade on Brandon Tanev. A lot of it's going to depend on, 
some of their, uh, you know, the two-way skills that some of these guys bring to the equation. I mean, they don't want to give that all up. One of the, one of the reasons the Kraken are, are winning so many games is the two-way abilities of their forwards. I mean, they, they've done a great job back-checking, a great job slowing up teams in the neutral zone. And, um, yeah, you know, they also do a really good job forechecking. So, yeah, if you're going to play on this team, you have to be willing to go in the corners and do the hard work, uh, even if you're a goal scorer. And so that that's the kind of thing that they're going to look at. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't rule out any kind of offensive upgrade. Again, it all comes down to price. And so, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, they have a plethora of uh, second-round draft picks they can put up there. They have some young players that they could possibly put up there and in a combination. So, you know, we'll just have to see. Uh, but a lot of it will depend on the long-term ability of some of these guys to stick around. Uh, this was a player that um, a good chunk of the league could have had when he was placed on waivers. But, you know, the Kraken got him. Eli Tolvanen. Uh, it's fit in like a uh, fit like a glove there in Seattle. Just talk with how he's brought to this uh, to that organization. Yeah, well, he's he brought some immediate production, which yeah. is uh, you know something that. And, and as I mentioned, I mean, you're you're looking at how all four lines are doing it. That's how they did it. They bring a waiver pickup in. All of a sudden, he's got what is it, five six goals for them. Um, you know, he's looked good on the power play when they've used him there. Uh, he's got that one time shot. Uh, and, and, you know, the Kraken, people have noted, have a very, very high shooting percentage compared to the rest of the league. And, and a lot of it, they, they've got guys that can, can fire the puck one-timers. Uh, you know, Beneers is one, Tolden is another, Daniel Sprong's another. And they got them all up and down the lineup, you know, so you can't just focus in on one line. They had Jared McCann, another guy, uh, probably the best shot on the team. But that's, you know, and that, that's why they've been, uh, they've been so successful. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's just added to that, and uh, he seems to really like it here so far. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's doing great. So, um, yeah, that's been a pleasant surprise for them, and it's been a really good pickup. Uh, one, one more thing on, on uh, Matty Beneers. I, I read it's going to be his bobblehead night tomorrow against Columbus. It'll be the bobblehead of his first point, which he had against the Flames last season. Is he the guy that everything and more that the Kraken could have hoped for? So far, yes. Um, and when I say that, I mean, he hasn't been perfect. He's had his uh, his, his growing pains and his learning, you know, same with the other night when he got the cheap shot hit. I mean, he kind of wasn't looking for it, and it came out, and the guy flattened him. And that's that's happened to him a few times. Uh, you know, he's not the biggest guy out there. They, they've hoped that he – and he tried to put on some muscle in the off season. you know, about eight pounds of muscle mm-hmm. or so, uh, to get him a little bit bigger because he lost a lot of weight going to the Olympics with Team USA. And so – uh, you know, you look at him now, he's still not you know, by muscle bound by any, by any stretch. He still looks a little bit thin and, you know, teams are taking advantage of that. They're taking runs at him. Now yeah. that said, he's learning how to take that beating night after night and, and learning how to play in the NHL game after game and learning how to deal with the, the stress level, the exhaustion level that comes with that because he's a college player. So they play half those games. It's not like he came from major junior. Uh, that said, he, he's been very mature in how he handles the puck. He doesn't just touch the puck and get rid of it in half a second. He, he hangs onto it. He tries to make plays. He tries to be creative. So he's gaining that confidence as, as he goes along. And uh, he gets angry at himself when he misses scoring chances. You can see that. I mean, he, he's got – he leads all of rookies in goals. But, you know, he could have had quite a few more. And there's some one, one-time shots that have missed the mark. And he uh, he gets on himself for that. And so you can see he, he he's out there hunting for more than, than what he's gotten, which is a good sign. And uh, defensively, he's been – He's been very capable as well, and this is a team, as I mentioned, that, that needs their players to play two-way hockey. Mm-hmm. And he's he's been to the point where his line mates aren't afraid to take some chances because they know he can get back there and then he can carry the puck up uh, up ice by himself. He won't just dump it in; he'll try to make plays and get it across the blue line himself. So that's 
that's another thing they're very impressed with at a young age so far. Talking with Jeff Baker, Seattle Kraken writer for the Seattle Times. Uh, Oliver Bjork- Bjorkstrand, he was a forgotten, maybe the forgotten trade of the offseason. Uh, I know his offensive numbers are down, but that defensive play is better. And you talk about it. You, the wingers here, the team, they got to play a full 200-foot game. After a couple really rough seasons in Columbus, do you see that with Bjorkstrand and you see more of a, a more rounded-out defensive player here in Bjorkstrand? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think I, I, I think he, he's also been a better offensive player than he's shown. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the hidden numbers, I think his, his expected goals are a lot higher than his actual goals. He's had quite a few chances, and he's been snake bait at times. Uh, lately, the pucks started going in for him a little bit more. But, yeah, he's, he's, been, he's been thrust into that system that Dave Haxall has implemented, and he knows that he has to be there uh, and, and on the defensive side as well as offense. So, I mean, he's playing on the third line right now. Uh, and and that, that's another reason that this team is so solid up and down. And, you know, nobody really imagined Bjorkstrand being on the third line. Mm-hmm. I, I think most people thought he'd be on the top two. And so, uh, you know, that's given him a, a multiple, uh, multiple options. He's played, he's played all three different lines uh, at times. And so, uh, you know, I could definitely see him moving up as things go forward. But, yeah, he has to, uh, he has to have the defensive responsibility as well. And uh, I, I think they've been very, uh, very pleased with that, very surprised. Not surprised necessarily. That's a bad word, but but just, just pleased that he's been able to bring that dimension there. Because as I mentioned, the offensive side, the results haven't always been mm-hmm. there for him, but he's creating those chances as well. We had you on in September as a little preview for the Kraken, and I and I brought up uh, Dave Hackstall and how maybe it was you know nobody liked the hire initially. Maybe it was like eh, was it the right guy? And then you know you go through last year typical expansion type seasons you go through the bumps and bruises of what every first team in the league outside of Vegas went through uh, what is there things he's doing different this year i know like he had a, a little bit of bad rap in philly too but is there something that hackstall's doing different or is it just another year with more experience and a more uh, filled out roster I think Hackstall is his own worst enemy at times. I, I think, you know, he gives the impression of a guy that's never cracked a smile in his life. He's actually a pretty funny guy <laughs> when you talk to him behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I think he gives off that public persona. And so then when things go wrong, the public doesn't necessarily gravitate warmly towards him. Um, but but he, he's actually he's actually a pretty funny guy. Um, he's actually, uh, you know, he's a pretty tough hockey player when he played too. He wasn't afraid to drop the gloves and go at it with any guy that's bigger than him. And I think he's tried to impart some of that on his team. Um, you know, tell him, Hey, you guys have to stand up for each other. You have to, you know, play tough hockey at times if you want to play winning hockey. And so I think that part, that part was there as well last year. I think the difference this year is um, you have more guys here that are willing to buy into his system, willing to listen to him. Um, don't forget it's an expansion team. There were guys that were brought here against their will last year for lack of a better word. And, uh, they've gotten rid of some of them and some of the malcontents and the group that's here by and large this year is consists of, uh, quite a few free agents and who actually wanted to be here. And, and, you know, guys who got frankly, the first real solid chance to stick with a team. I'm thinking of a guy like Ryan Donato, you know, wanted to be back here. Daniel Sprung, that's Mm -hmm. another guy who's kind of making a showing here. So that helps, and it helps them buy into Hackstall's system. So when Hackstall goes and tells Daniel Sprung, hey, uh, you know, it's nice that you have 15 goals. We know you can shoot. We've always known you can score, but if you don't play defense, you're not going to get on the ice. 
Sprung listens to him. And so I think you got a much better buy-in this year than, yeah. than last season. No, Daniel Sprung is definitely one of my favorite players to watch. Loved his story for sure. And uh, our, our, NH, our NHL insider here at Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Freeman, he loves Daniel Sprung. Can't ever say anything bad about him for sure. Uh, Shane Wright, we know you mentioned that that might be a piece that if if the Kraken do out and go get a Boro Horvat or something else that maybe Shane Wright is a part of that or something like that. He, of course, he was sent back to junior. He was in a trade. He's going to. He's a part of the Windsor Spitfire Club, who's got Memorial Cup Memorial Cup aspirations. A front office encouraged with how he's doing, or he's like this is expected. Obviously, Shane Wright is a guy that uh, should be dominating the OHL. Yeah, I think I think they I think they're what they want to see more from in Shane Wright is what I was talking about with Matty Beneers. Just what what's Shane Wright going to do when he actually gets the yeah. puck? Because they didn't draft him, in, you know, for number four overall, just so you get the puck for half a second and get rid of it the minute he touches it. They want to see the guy that they drafted. They mm-hmm. want to see him make make plays. They want to see him be creative with it, have the confidence to hang on to the puck and make something happen that every other guy in the NHL can do. And, and he really didn't get a chance to really show that at the NHL level. And, and that's one of the reasons they sent him back. They had hoped to keep him here all year. Uh, two things happened. They didn't expect the team to be anywhere near as good. Um, and, and so that was part of a problem. And, 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 and when that happened, the second thing that happened, they couldn't get him on the ice uh, yeah. because there's just nobody there for him to beat out. And what they don't want to do is, is thrust a junior player in there for development purposes. When, when you've got all these players with this buy-in trying, you know, playing hurt every game, trying to win. Uh, and then they see a guy knock a more deserving guy out of the lineup just for development purposes. That that wasn't going to happen when the Kraken started challenging for first place. And so that's why they sent him back. I think they were very encouraged by what they saw in the American Hockey League. And they know that, you know, all things being equal, he belongs in the AHL right now. And uh, so does probably Slavkovsky from, from Montreal. They probably both belong in the AHL. And, uh, you know, if the rules were, were all equal, they would have put him there. And so they liked what they saw, the limited stint they were able to send in there, but they can't do that anymore. No more conditioning stints. You only get one. And so there wasn't going to be any playing opportunities here. They they'd hoped to get him, I think, 12 to 15 minutes a game, and they were getting about six or seven at, at one point. But, you know, it helped that he scored a goal against Montreal his last game uh, that he played for the crack, and mm-hmm. that kind of got that off the of, the ledger and then they want to bring him back next year and, and, and see what he can do now that he's he's gotten to play a little more. Look, it, it's not the Kraken's fault that he missed a year in the OHL because of COVID. Exactly. You know, people say his development's hurt and this and that. I mean that that has nothing to do with the Kraken. That that was before he was even their property. And so, you know, you bring him up, you try to develop him as best you can under the current rules and they did that. But I, I don't know too many GMs in the National Hockey League that are going to risk their future employment by by throwing this kid into the lineup for the next half a season, uh, yeah, you know, if he's not ready yet and, and sacrifice a playoff spot and Ron Francis isn't ready to do that at this stage. Um, so you asked me if they're happy with him. Yeah, I think they're happy with him to the point that he's at. I think they would expect a lot more of him coming in next season uh, if he gets that chance and if he's still with the team and, uh, and, and take it from there. Uh, an article you wrote in the Seattle times is maybe how the club isn't being watched as much in on tv in their own town and is is there any concern maybe in the second year you mentioned that yeah the the, the first year fun hurrah it's, it's kind of weighing out but the team's contending now and they're the building's full but is there like discouragement maybe they're not watching them as much as they're still probably third place in the city yeah well i mean they'll never say it in public because they're trying to project the image of a, a successful franchise and, and they are by and large fairly successful uh behind the scenes there's some concern definitely um there's been meetings about it 
the the TV ratings are flat from year to year. People complain about cord cutting, about streaming. That's really got nothing to do with this issue. This issue is about people that already have access to the regional sports network, Root Sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had access to it last season, and you look at the first few months of last season, the audience numbers were much higher than they were after they fell out of contention. And the, since they fell out of contention, those numbers have remained a bit flat through this season. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they've had ratings. Most of their ratings are below a one share. And, you know, you're looking at about 15,000 households, 13,000 on average sometimes. They need that up higher. They need it above a one for most games. They've gotten some games lately where they've been above one, but then they came back from their eight-game winning streak, and they uh, I don't think they reached – I don't think they've surpassed one hmm. at all in their first five games. So after the winning streak. And so, you know, it, it's taken some time. One of the problems was they didn't get players out enough in the community last year. They didn't really make an imprint on the community during COVID with all the lockdown restrictions. Yeah. So that hurt. And, uh, you know, people just have to find out who the, these guys are. They have to get them out there in the mainstream a little bit more. Um, and, and a playoff run will certainly help. I mean, if they get to the playoffs, you know, maybe you start to see really good numbers next year TV wise. The other thing to keep an eye on is what their ticket prices are worth because most of their season ticket holders bought in for minimum three-year packages. And those packages are going to come due a little over a year from now. And uh, you know, after, after last season, I haven't looked at the numbers yet. Uh, They're a little bit up from what I can just see anecdotally and and off the top of my head. But last year you had numbers that were way, way down. Like you're talking 30% in some cases over what people paid for their season tickets. So you're going to come back and ask people to pay, let's say, $300 a ticket a year and a half from now. You better make sure those tickets are worth 300 on the open market and they can't go get them at StubHub for, for 150 Yeah. Because then you're going to have a hard time renewing. So that's something they have to keep in the back of their mind. And that's one reason they decided they needed to fast forward their contention strategy a little bit this year. And they've done a great job of that. They got to get a, a more winning product on the ice, which they've done because it lags. It takes time to, to build up a ticket market again. And it takes time to build up TV ratings, as we're seeing. Yeah, and like something that could definitely help, of course, a good playoff run helps any city. But Winter Classic coming to T-Mobile next year against uh, expansion brother Vegas Golden Knights next January 1st. How how excited will the city be? And I mean, we're still a long way away, but I mean, the Winter Classic, we, we get it. Up here, maybe it's not, yeah, maybe it's not the same uh, uh, pageantry as it was way back when Buffalo and Pittsburgh did it in 2008. But it's going to be different seeing two new teams in a, in a, in a completely new stadium and a new market how how exciting will that be for the for the city of seattle i think it'll be very exciting i mean you don't hear much buzz about it right now but seattle's a funny city that way seattle's a very front-running sports town at times and they'll go with what's hot at the time it likes to be a trendy city that way yeah Um, and and you know the seahawks have been hot for a long time because they want a super bowl got Mm -hmm. back to another and now it's starting to shift back to the mariners because they want they they made the playoffs finally although seahawks are still there and the Kraken have to try to squeeze some attention out of all that. And so uh, I can remember when the Sounders won the uh, MLS yep. championship here back in 2019. They had the championship game here in Seattle. And the city was rocking for it that week. Uh, they, they set an, uh, an attendance record all time mm-hmm. at uh, Safeco Field. It was like 70, almost 70,000 people there. I mean, it was, it was a huge game. I was there watching it. I mean, that, that was a fun week in the city. And so I think it's going to be, you know, for big events, Seattle does show up. And I think that's going to uh, really generate some attention next year. And I think that it'll be a, a very interesting event to watch. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. And uh, we'll definitely talk soon. Uh, all the best, buddy. Take care. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. There you go. That's Jeff Baker, uh, Seattle Kraken writer 
for the Seattle Times, enjoying some uh, nicer weather in Seattle uh, than we are here in Calgary. And of course, Jeff joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. NFL Championship weekend goes on Sunday. AFC Championship, Chiefs, Bengals, NFC Championship, Eagles, Niners. Cannot wait, and we will uh, dive into all the action this weekend and a lot of coaching stories, uh, what's happening with Aaron Rodgers, lots happening in the NFL, never a day off in that league. We'll speak with Jordan DeJohnny of CBS Sports. That's next as Sportsnet Today continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. NFL Conference Championship Weekend. Philadelphia Eagles hosting the San Francisco 49ers. That'll go 1 o'clock Sunday, followed by a rematch from last year's AFC title game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. Sandy Reid confirming uh, just a moment ago, Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes will start at quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I don't think there was any doubt in that, but uh, yeah, we saw what happened to him on last week against Jacksonville. Uh, Arden Key landed on the leg, was hobbled the entire time, the rest of the second half. Uh, will we get the full effectiveness of Patrick Mahomes? You judge him by the scenes uh, during the week. No limp there. Is he a robot? I don't know, but uh, I really want to see uh, a full Patrick Mahomes. I, I think we want to see what that guy can do. And he could talk about, oh, he might be more effective in the pocket. Mm, no, man. I think he's more dangerous when he rolls out. He can do improvise. He can improvise. He can do all the crazy stuff that not a lot of other guys can do. And I think we want to see a full, healthy Patrick Mahomes. Uh, on Sunday, and he will get the start against the Bengals. And we go back down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We're joined by NFL writer from CBSSports.com, Jordan Dijani. How are you doing, Jordan, on this wonderful little Friday we got going? Hey, hey, my friends, what's going on? I'm doing well, and I hope you are as well. Oh, I can't say. I can't complain, man. It's uh, it's championship weekend. I mean, it's snowing here like crazy, but, uh, you know, it's, it's we're used to it. It's nothing new here. Uh, Andy Reid. Uh, just confirming, of course, uh, that Patrick Mahomes will start on Sunday. Is this guy, is he the robot or a really good actor? Like, what are we expecting from Patrick Mahomes? This guy's unbelievable. We yeah, hear what I'm high ankle sprains can do. Ro- yeah, exactly. I'm going to lean more towards robot on that question. <laughs> I mean, the fact, watching how he went down the other weekend, it really did look like he was going to at least Missed the remainder of that game, but he got back up and and he only missed one drive, which Chad Henney led a touchdown on. (laughs) This guy's pretty unbelievable looking at how the injury transpired. But at the same time, it's going to take a lot more to take, uh, or excuse me, Patrick Mahomes off the field, especially in this kind of scenario. Now, I think everybody understood that there was a 100% chance of him starting in the AFC Championship game, but it does remain to be seen how mobile he looks. And in the playoffs particularly, Patrick Mahomes' legs have kind of been an X factor to this offensive mm-hmm. attack. And without those, it certainly takes something away from what was the number one offense in the NFL this season. Joe Burrow, he, uh, we talk, oh, I really like Joe Cool, Joe Burr. You know, I, I, he, he's, he's so cerebral. He thinks, he, he, I think he uses his brain better than almost any quarterback in this league. He beats you with his brain. And I think he just could be scratching the surface on what he could do. He has a chance to beat the Chiefs for a fourth time in a row and a second year in a row in an AFC championship in a place where his teammates are starting to call Burrowhead. What, ha- what, what does this do for Joe Burrow's legacy going forward if he does, in fact, beat the Chiefs on Sunday? 
Joe Burrow's unreal. I think he became the coolest quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. over the last week, especially with that highlight of him throwing that no-look pass, twirling around in the snow with the all-white uniforms. I mean, it was just sexy. I, I'm not going <laughs> to say I was sleeping on Joe Burrow, but at the same time, you know, we all witnessed him take that leap into superstardom last year with the playoff run, or the Super Bowl run, I should say. I feel like he's almost up the ante this year. I mean, no one expected him to come into Buffalo and, and beat the Bills the way that the Bengals did. And that's why it's almost hard to bet against the Bengals on the road in Arrowhead. But at the same time, as you mentioned, Joe Burrow, he's 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to defeat Mahomes three consecutive <laughs> times. And it's pretty wild because all three of the games they've played have been decided by exactly three points. And here's something even crazier. The Bengals were either tied or trailing entering the fourth quarter in all three of those meetings. Joe Burrow's legacy, as you mentioned, can definitely be upped and be added to if he defeats Mahomes for a fourth consecutive time this weekend. I'm excited for it because I think these two may be the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, hard to uh, not agree. I agree. I, it's hard to disagree, I should say. The two that are up for MVPs. Uh, Mahomes probably might win it, but I wouldn't put it by Joe Burrow getting some votes and being that guy as well. Uh, aside from the, the the obviouses like in Jamar Chase and and Joe Burrow and and that receiving core in Cincinnati and and on Kansas City side, save you know the obvious in Travis Kelsey. What are some players that could make an impact for Cincinnati and and Kansas City that could be the deciding difference? Because I look at the Chiefs, it's Isaiah Pacheco. Right, right. Yeah, when you talk about the Bengals, I think what really shocked me the most about their win over the Bills was how the defense performed. I mean, they recorded 21 pressures on Josh Allen. That's the most by any team in the divisional round. And in particular, if you want to talk about specific players, T.J. Reader on the inside apparently is one of the best players in the NFL. That's what (laughs) I've learned very quickly. He had a team high and tied a career high with five pressures against Josh Allen last weekend. The other guy we have to talk about who's an absolute dog is Mike Hilton. That small DB, very versatile player. He had four pressures on Josh Allen. That's the most by any defensive back in the playoffs. This Bengals defense, you know, of course we want to talk about Joe Burrow and and, Mm -hmm. and Patrick Mahomes, and that's the offense, and that's what the game's going to come down to. No, in my opinion, it's going to come down to the defense. Is it going to be the Bengals defense or the Chiefs defense that stands on their head when it matters most in the fourth quarter and forces some kind of turnover. Um, in, in terms of the Chiefs, if you want to ask about a player who, who may kind of make a leap into superstardom, I really do love Legereus Need, the cornerback for Kansas City, because yeah. he's another one of those versatile guys. They love to send him on blitzes. I think he's great in terms of coverage. I think he's great with ball skills. He's a guy to keep an eye on, but the running back, Isaiah Pacheco, is a great answer as well. Uh, does uh, okay on the other side the other the other game script we'll go to the NFC Championship here. I you don't want to say I don't want to say it as, as a demeaning thing to the to the to Brock Purdy and what he has done for the 49ers and what we've seen like there's nothing else like it. I mean we could talk about Kurt Warner we could talk about Tom Brady. Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft and just thrown in there because they had no other options. But does it feel like this could be the week where we see like hey okay well you're still a rookie here. Yeah, so I write a gambling column for CBSSports.com that I publish every week. And I think for now the eighth week running or something ridiculous, I'm asking myself in the intro, is Brock Purdy going to start looking like a rookie? And maybe it's time we stop asking ourselves that question because I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Now, all that said, 
He did have a 39.6 passer rating versus the Cowboys' pressure on Sunday. I think he was 3 for 11 on those passing attempts. Mm -hmm. And you look at the Philadelphia Eagles' defense. They had the second-highest pressure rate behind the Cowboys in the regular season. But the Eagles also have recorded uh, more sacks than any other team in the NFL. I think they have 75 now. So in the battle of the trenches, the pass rushers, Hassan Reddick, uh, Brandon Graham, guys like that are going to be X factors in this matchup. I think Brock Purdy has a bright future. Everyone would agree with that. But when he's under pressure, when he's not able to extend plays to his liking, that's when we're going to figure out what this 49ers offense is really capable of. Would this be maybe the biggest, and there's a lot of great things that Kyle Shanahan has done, be it as an offensive coordinator, a quarterback's coach, whatever. What he's done for offense in this game is one of the most impressive things. You know, He learned well from his father. But would this might be one of the biggest things any coach has done as a figure in this game? Take Mr. Irrelevant and put him in the Super Bowl? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, to your other question, I feel like there's a lot of people in the NFL world who, are, who still have some reservations about Brock Purdy. But if he goes in on the road against Philly and takes the 49ers to the Super Bowl with a couple of touchdown passes, that's when everybody's going to stop having their reservations in my mind because that would be absolutely unbelievable. Now, in terms of Kyle Shanahan, yeah, I think he's convinced me and a lot of people just this year that he's one of the best, if not the best, head coach in the NFL because there are not many others, if another coach, that could take Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick <laughs> of the 2022 NFL draft, plug him under center, and, and basically be on the doorstep of a Super Bowl. That's remarkable. But, I mean, even more than that, you look at how this offense is run in general. They basically have positionless players with Elijah Mitchell, with Christian McCaffrey. George Kittle is a very versatile Debo. tight end. Debo Samuel, of course, <laughs> is a hybrid. Yeah, exactly. Like, the way that they the way that they strategize, the way that they call plays, the way that they run their offense in general is what is special about the 49ers, in my opinion. And that's why they haven't missed a beat with a rookie seventh-round pick under center. Uh, with Philadelphia and San Francisco, I think this might be, like you may, you've watched a lot of football as well, could this be, on both sides, the best matchup in the trenches we've seen between D-line, O-line on both sides? 100%. I, I bet you, you, hit it, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, both of these teams rank in the top five in PFF's pass block and pass rush grade. It's going to come down to the trenches. And, and, you know, I'll even take it even further than that. Obviously, the trenches are important in the game of football, but we're talking about two of the most well-rounded teams, arguably the most well-rounded teams in the NFL, not speaking only on the NFC. I mean, the 49ers defense and the Eagles offense both are first among those NFC teams in points per game and yards per game. This is literally the best offense in the national conference versus the best defense. So I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. But I will say this. I look at the Eagles' defense. They statistically were the number two unit in the NFL this year, only behind the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> in my opinion, and statistically, the Eagles are the more well-rounded team. Plus, we can also throw out there that Brock Purdy is going to become the fifth rookie quarterback to start a conference title game. The previous four yep. went 0 for 4. So, point to that record as a reason why I'm taking Philly this weekend. Jalen Hurts uh, could might be the least talked about quarterback among the three uh, this weekend, and uh, might be a little maybe a little rub on Philadelphia's. You know, like they. they like what he did to the Giants and what he's done this season. I think maybe Jalen Hurts hasn't gotten the same amount of love as he should. 
just how important can he be to Philadelphia? Uh, just not just this year. Like six months ago, we we're talking: is this even a? Can this guy even be a starter in this league? And and six months now, where he's on the footstep of a Super Bowl. Uh, just just how important Jalen Hurts is to this group, and and how, what he he's just maybe like I talk about Burrow just scratching the surface on what he could be. How about Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I'm kind of glad you brought this up because Jalen Hurts has had a very weird year, right? I mean, he was the MVP frontrunner yeah. for most of the season. Then he has that shoulder injury. Then he's forced to the sideline. People kind of forget about your quarterback if you miss two or three games. Um, he comes back in the regular season finale, did not look great, but finally showed up in the postseason and really hit the ground running. Jalen Hurts obviously should be an MVP favorite in my mind. And I'll say this. I mean, I was definitely a doubter of Jalen Hurts after last year. I saw him missing open throws. I saw that Devontae Smith was even trying to coach him up on the sideline <laughs> at times. Like Jalen Hurts was not that accurate with the football last year. And I thought conversations about maybe entertaining adding another quarterback were warranted. But at the same time, I mean, I, I was clearly wrong about that. And the Eagles are very lucky that they didn't go chase someone like Deshaun Watson because Jalen Hurts has clearly taken that step forward. I think Nick Sirianni, his head coach, has called him the MJ of this yep. offense because he does so much. He obviously has a talented arm, and he's good at reading defenses. He's taken a step uh, further in that regard. But, man, he's a legitimate running back. He runs strong. He runs upright. He's such a dual-threat weapon for this offense. And that's why, I mean, I think he's becoming quickly one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Talking with Jordan Dijani, uh, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Away from the field, uh, the first head coaching chip falls here with Frank Reich. Uh, going home to Carolina, he was, of course, their first ever quarterback. Uh, they really like Steve Wilkes, and I, and I heard today he's pretty disappointed. But, you know, obviously the game is transitioning. Frank Wright did a hell of a job in Indianapolis without a quarterback. What could he do in Carolina where that offense, you know, they were they were a playoff, they were in a playoff contention up until week 17. They get a quarterback in there. That's a good coach to have. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely got to credit Steve Wilkes as well for the job yeah. that he did in Carolina as the interim, as he just said. Um, pretty tough, obviously, decision that Carolina had to go with. But here's the other thing. I mean, I think it boiled down to two decisions or, or two things that I can point to as to why Frank Reich was hired. First of all, he's an offensive mind, and I feel like that's what Carolina specifically needs right now. And two, he has more experience than Wilkes, obviously. Now, I think Reich is a very underrated coach during this cycle because what happened in Indy was certainly not his fault. No. And I think that a lot of people who watch the Colts could tell you that. He's somebody with experience, as I pointed to. He has familiarity with the Carolina Panthers organization. I think he was the quarterback to throw the first yep. passing touchdown yep. in Panthers franchise history, which is kind of cool. So I really do like this hire. I think it's an underrated one. I definitely have noticed that it's a polarizing move, but at the same time, it's been clear. It's been made clear, I should say, that this guy knows how to be a head coach at the NFL level, and Carolina needed somebody like this, not somebody who's going to be a first-year head coach at this level. Nathaniel Hackett, uh, new offensive coordinator uh, with the New York Jets. Uh, we, we can talk about his work with Aaron Rodgers his last couple of years in Green Bay, obviously getting the MVP for Aaron. Or right, obviously Aaron doing more work, obviously, to get his MVP. But Hackett was the offensive coordinator. He took Blake Bortles and the Jaguars to a to a conference championship as well. Is, is it a big deal or is it just another hire? And does Aaron Rodgers to the Jets keep making more sense? Well, I'll say this. I would be scared to hire Nathaniel Hackett. I'm not saying that I would go away from it, but I'd be pretty nervous after just seeing what transpired in Denver. Maybe he's one of those guys who's a really good offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. and not a very good head coach, maybe like a Josh McDaniels or something. Maybe he really does find his footing here. 
Um, so, but at the same time, I definitely would be nervous, especially when you consider that they moved on from Michael LaFleur, who yeah. was, in my opinion, one of the better OCs in the NFL. He's going to L.A. Sandbag by the quarterback play, going to L.A., which I think is an amazing carry for the Los Angeles Rams. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of Aaron Rodgers' future, I don't know anything. I haven't talked to anybody with knowledge of the situation. But in my opinion, there's one of two things that's going to happen. I believe he's going to come back and play for the Packers in 2023, or I believe he's going to hang up the cleats and retire a Packer and just go do something else outside of football. I know that we've seen reports over the past week that saying that a trade is a realistic possibility. That's not saying anything. We all know it's a realistic possibility. We get that. What I think is more likely is that he sticks with the Packers or retires. But the quarterback carousel is going to start spinning very soon. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, Tom Brady, obviously on his podcast with Jim Gray, uh, he does. If he knew what he was effing doing, he'd already effing done it. Uh, where does he play? Is he going to Vegas? Is he going and staying in Tampa Bay? Is he a possibility for the Jets? Yeah, so I wrote an article for CBSSports.com, my 10 bold predictions for the offseason, and I made sure to publish it probably three weeks ago when the playoffs were just starting so I could really get a leap on everybody. One of my, I think it was my number one prediction, I had Tom Brady jumping pirate ships and going from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Las Vegas Raiders out west in the AFC West, teaming up with his old coordinator, Josh McDaniels. Now, a lot of people will say, why would Tom Brady want to go to the toughest division in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes (laughs) and with Justin Herbert? Well, the GOAT is not phased by any kind of obstacles, right? I mean, I think he probably thinks, I think the way he probably thinks the best way to end his career would be winning the toughest division in the NFL at the ripe age of 75. (laughs) That's what Tom Brady wants to do, in my opinion. Um, I think the Buccaneers going back is obviously a realistic possibility, but out of the two quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, that I think has more of a wondering eye this offseason, I'm going to point to Tom Brady. Does De- does uh, Derek Carr sign uh, sign somewhere, or does he have a new destination probably before those two? Man, I got to say, Derek Carr, my, my opinion of him kind of fell just in terms of his on-field play this past year. I, I thought he was a pretty good quarterback heading into 2022. I don't exactly feel that way now. Mm-hmm. And he's not somebody who I'd be chasing after in the open market. But here's the thing. The quarterback position is the most important position in football, and just the fact that you have experience playing that position is going to up your market value if, if you're going to hit this set open market. So, I mean, I do think that there's going to be several teams that are going to end up kicking the ball around him, and, and they're going to think that he can be somebody after a change of, uh, change of scenery that maybe they could get the most out of him. I keep an eye on a team like the New York Jets. I mm-hmm. keep an eye on the team like the Washington Commanders. He is absolutely 100% going to have a market out there for him. But I can already predict this. I think that he's probably going to be overpaid, whether he remains on the same contract he signed last offseason and is traded, or if he signs as a free agent once being released by the Raiders. Um, I, I think that the money he, that's going to be given to him may be too much, in my opinion. Um, so it'll be an interesting situation to look at. But he's obviously going to be one of the top names on this quarterback carousel. You say you're taking the Eagles. Okay, who's winning in Arrowhead between the Chiefs and the Bengals? Cincinnati going back-to-back? Well, I don't know what Arrowhead is, but I know what Burrowhead is. Burrowhead. Joe Burrow. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe Burrow. I mean, here's the thing. I'm more confident in the Eagles beating the 49ers than the Chiefs beating the Bengals or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I cannot bet against Joe Burrow right now. I would feel like a fool if I bet against Joe Burrow right now. I get that Eli Apple's poking the bear on social media and everyone's calling <laughs> it Burrowhead and the fun jokes like that. Yeah, 
exactly instill confidence in me when I'm making this pick. But at the same time, this unit, this team as a whole, is playing with swag. And as I said, I really do think Joe Burrow is, 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 is poised to take another leap forward in terms of how we view him as an NFL quarterback. And that could happen this Sunday in Arrowhead. I'm excited for it. I can't bet against Joe Cool, Joey Franchise, Joey B, whatever you want to call him. I'm rolling with the Bengals. Yeah, I agree there. I'm thinking uh, Philly, Cincinnati as well. Thank you, Jordan. This was the best. Uh, We'll connect soon here, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. There you go. That's Jordan Dijani, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Of course, Conference Championship Weekend, Sunday, Eagles and Niners, Chiefs and Bengals. Uh, I I don't think we can uh, complain about these final four. Uh, This is going to be an awesome weekend. Cannot wait for it. I'm Patrick Dumas. You've been listening to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.